Good morning, Grace Church. We're going to be reading from Leviticus chapter 9, starting at verse 2 through to chapter 10, verse 3. Um, In the Bible I have, it's on page 109. I don't know if that's helpful. Okay. Moses said to Aaron, take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tents of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him and he dipped his finger into the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. The rest of the blood he poured out at the base of the altar. On the altar he burned the fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. They handed him the burnt offering piece by piece, including the head, and he burned them on the altar. He washed the internal organs and the legs and burned them on top of the burnt offering on the altar. Aaron then brought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sin offering and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did with the first one. He brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. He slaughtered the ox and the ram as a fellowship offering for the people. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. But the fat portions of the ox and the ram, the fat tail, the layer of fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, these they laid on the breasts and then Aaron burned the fat on the altar. Aaron waved the breasts and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. 
Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honoured. Aaron remained silent. Uh, Thanks, Dorothy. Uh, Keep that passage open, if you would. We'll be looking at a few bits from uh, Leviticus 8 to 10. Uh, If uh, you've been following the last couple of weeks, you'll know we're doing a sort of summary series overview of Leviticus. Uh, And what I'd really like to encourage you to do is to be reading it at home, particularly the bits uh, we are going to look at each Sunday or look at it afterwards. Uh, And I'm hoping to give you a sort of a framework to be able to think about what you're reading uh, so that it feels a bit more accessible and more applicable as we go through. So um, uh, let me pray with that in mind and we'll get stuck into these chapters today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is all useful for us to show us salvation and uh, prepare us for every good work. We thank you that it all points to your son, the Lord Jesus. And so wherever we stand with you today in the Lord Jesus uh, or not, we pray that you'd open our eyes afresh to your glory and your presence among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what your primary joy in life is. I know, joy was not the first word you'd think I would say reading that passage. Uh, So I'm not talking about things you enjoy, uh, like chocolate or or surfing or holidays. Anyone got any any others? What what do people enjoy? A barbecue? A bring and share lunch? (laughs) No. Uh, We're not talking about those things. What is it that brings us sort of true, meaningful joy in our hearts? What gives you purpose as a person? What is it that motivates you to live and work and to get up each day? Uh, what What is it that gives you deep enough joy that you live your life in a way uh, that works towards or honours that? What is that? Uh, It might be some of those things we talked about, bring and share lunch or uh, comfort. Uh, Most of the world, though, and for most of us, it would probably be more idealistic, wouldn't it? Uh, Perhaps it would be that everyone would think really well of us. Sort of pride, or uh, so we work hard if we're in college or at work. Perhaps uh, it's a, a lifestyle of comfort. So we work hard at work to earn enough money to do that. Uh, perhaps it's about feeling value, valuable in yourself. Uh, so uh, you keep telling yourself how valuable and important you are as a person and that whatever you think must be right, uh, and so on. Well, for the Christian, uh, our greatest joy ought to be, as we're going to see in this passage, the, the presence of God. The presence of God. Uh, that he is, uh, quite literally if we're a Christian, in us by his spirit. And, and so we do everything for his glory. So that's the thing we live for. His presence brings us joy. And today's passage is going to help us see the holiness of God in all of his glory 
and our joy to realise that he is present with us. Uh, So our first point, uh, God's presence, greatest joy and greatest fear. Uh, Today's chapter describes how one of God's promises made to the Israelite people in Exodus is achieved shortly afterwards. So uh, on the screen, uh, or it's not far if you want to flick back, in Exodus 29, uh, here's the promise that God gives to his people uh, shortly before Exodus uh, is written and, and acted out. So Exodus 29 verse 44, the Lord is speaking. He says, so I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will, this is important, dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Uh, This verse uh, describes the sort of primary blessing that God is going to give to his people, that God promises to dwell among his people, to be present with them. Uh, It would be quite a thought, wouldn't it? Imagine you're an Israelite, you you see the cloud of God's pillar moving in the day, and at night it's fire, and Moses goes up onto the mountaintop to visit with the Lord and and comes down with uh, the commandments and instructions. But now God promises to come and dwell among his people. But a couple of things are required before he can do that. They're in that verse. It might be worth putting it up again, Emily, thanks. Verse 44. First of all, before God can dwell with his people, uh, they need to consecrate the tent of meeting and an altar. Somewhere that can be clean and pure and holy. Somewhere set apart to make sacrifices and offerings. Uh, to, to, to atone for our sin, as we looked at last week, where God's right wrath and anger at the people's uh, unholiness will be put upon the blood of an animal sacrifice instead. And we saw that in chapters 1 to 7. If you haven't uh, read those or listened to the sermon from last week, I'd encourage you to do so. And as we look through those chapters, we're reminded that Actually, Jesus is the only sacrifice that is truly worth, uh, worthy of atoning us. His blood, because he was fully human, son of God, made man, is able to make us right through the sacrifices uh, when he died on the cross in our place. So for the Israelites, they needed a tent and an altar uh, consecrated, made holy, made pure and clean. But there's something else in that verse that they need, and that's that they need a consecrated priesthood. They need a a, a people set apart who are given the duty of sort of setting a a higher example, being more obedient to God than the general people, and able to uh, intercede and offer sacrifices for the people on their behalf before a holy God. They're like the intercedery people between us and the Lord God. And they need to be made holy as well for God to come and dwell with his people. See that in the promises in Exodus. And that is what Leviticus 8-10 to is all about. It's a literal working out of these promises that God made in Exodus. The priesthood who makes the dwelling of God among his people possible. That is what's happening in these chapters. Uh, now, we've been a little bit harsh on Leviticus as we've looked through them over the last few weeks. Um, we're grateful that we don't have to fulfill all of these laws now, uh, today, because of Jesus. It seems like a lot of hard work. 
But I want us today to think again about how the Israelites at the time might have viewed this book and the rules and the laws uh, and their purpose. Uh, Listen to an example to this exchange between God and Moses. Uh, Still in Exodus, it's on the screen, uh, chapter 33, verse 14 and 16. Listen to the desire Moses has for the presence of God to dwell amongst his people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You kind of hear the desperation of Moses and his request, stay with us, God. Don't depart. Be present or or we're doomed. We'll just be like the rest of the world. We won't be different in any way. The presence of God is the Israelites' greatest joy. And sacrifices and offerings are just a small price to pay. This book of Leviticus is is good news for them. Without God, uh, to put it in our own context, well, we'll only have a comfortable life to seek after, or or pride to look for, or self-identity to live for. And we all know how depressing that all turns out to be. We'll just be like the rest of the world. Stay with us, God. Dwell amongst us. Your presence needs to be with us. And the offering system in Leviticus, uh, yes, it's involved. Yes, it requires a lot of effort and attention and, and sacrifice, quite literally, of animals in their time. But they are well and truly worth it. And it is worth anointing a priesthood who will intercede between them and God so that God can dwell amongst his people. And now yesterday we saw a new monarch anointed. But he is of no comparison to the anointing of the priests in these chapters because a priest is anointed to intercede between us and God so that we may enjoy God's presence. Now, as good as King Charles might be, he's not able to do that. And so yesterday's, imagine all that, we don't need to imagine, you saw all that pomp and glory was good, but it is nothing compared to the presence and glory of God when he dwells among his people. So right at the end of Exodus we read this. Uh, This is uh, the presence of God coming among his people. Just imagine you're there again. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses, the most holy of people at the time, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if a cloud did not lift, they did not set out. They stayed in the presence of God until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all Israelites during all their travels. God's presence is awesome. It is joyful. It is exciting. It is to be stayed near. It is holy. It's so holy it's unapproachable. Couldn't have watched this on our TV screens. And so we need a priesthood. We we need a high priest. For them, Aaron, and a priesthood, Aaron's sons, to cleanse us and intercede and prepare us 
for his presence. And as we'll see later, for us, it is the Lord Jesus. And that's what happens in uh, Leviticus 8 to 9. They anoint, they, they, they consecrate their priesthood. And look at the glorious result. Uh, Flick to the end of chapter 9. It was in our reading. This is the result of carefully obeying God's commands and consecrating a priesthood between us and God. Here it comes, chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. He's here. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Chapters 8 to 9 of Leviticus are glorious. They're not mundane. They show us the gateway to the very presence of God through our holy priesthood. And then that's why chapter 10 shows us how very serious it is to bypass God's glory and rule. Verse 1 of chapter 10, Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them and added incense. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. God's presence is not to be taken lightly. It is both their greatest joy and their greatest fear. How could it be any other way? God's presence is both their greatest joy and their greatest fear. We better hope our priest gets his job right, or we are in big trouble. Uh, So our second point Uh, We'll draw all this together towards the end. God's presence demands perfect obedience. Uh, In chapter 8 of Leviticus, we read about the ordination of Aaron and his sons. The whole assembly of Israel Israel are gathered together, probably just meaning the elders of each tribe. Uh, There would have been a lot of them, but it's likely vast crowds of people also gathered to be involved and to watch the proceedings. Aaron and his sons bring offerings and special garments, and there's lots of symbolism. It's a fairly easy passage to follow through. Let me just read some of it to you. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 5 to 13. This is sort of the ordination service and ceremony for the priests. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put a tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. Sounds a lot like yesterday. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband which he tied around him. He placed the breastplate on him and put the uh, urim and the thummim on his breastplate. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on, uh, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and, it, and so consecrated him. Remember the promise made in Exodus? Here it's happening. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all of its utensils and the basins with its stands to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, so he's anointing the priests, consecrating them as well, and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fastened caps on them, as the Lord 
commanded Moses. Uh, Symbol, laden, clothing, an article, washing, anointing, holiness, cleanness, authority, teaching. And following that, when all of that's gone on, they carry out a sin offering. Uh, We've thought about that uh, last week. Uh, You can listen to that again if you want to hear all about the sin offering. But in in short, even the priests, as obedient as they can be, still need to bring sin offerings before a holy God. Uh, Literally from their head to the toe seems to be the meaning of verse 23, chapter 8. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of... Oh, that's my right ear. Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Literally, all of him has to be cleansed. Then it goes on, verse 34 of chapter 8. What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. Priests uh, uh, avoid the wrath of God through this sacrifice. You must stay at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days, longer than yesterday's coronation, and do what the Lord requires, so that you will not die, for that is what I have what I have been commanded. Uh, the sense you get is that an ordained priest, charged with cleansing the people, so that God may dwell am- dwell among them, must obey God's commands to the letter. Uh, More so, if you like, than the general public. They're they're called to a higher duty. That's why we see the sons uh, dying in the next chapter when they don't. Uh, We see similar instructions in the New Testament given to those who teach and shepherd God's people today. But here it's like another letter. Get it wrong and you're done. They represent the holiness of God. They, they intercede. They're the ones who can bring the sacrifices for the people before a holy God because they've cleansed themselves already. Uh, that's why if you uh, were to look through chapter 8, looking for this phrase, you'll find it a lot. Uh, it says, as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded. Verse 4, verse 9, verse 12, verse 17, verse 21, verse 29, chapter 9, verse 10. As the Lord commanded. Our priest must achieve what we often, so often don't, and that's perfect obedience before the Holy God. They were very careful to do it in chapters 8 to 9. As the Lord commanded. So then verse 1 of chapter 10 is a shock, isn't it? Aaron's son, Nabab and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them and added incense. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. You see the change in phrase? Just as the Lord commanded, (coughs) contrary to what he commanded. And so God must protect his holiness. The next verse, chapter 10. 10 verse 2 so fire came out from the presence of the lord and consumed them and they died before the lord why moses then said to aaron this is what the lord spoke of when he said among those who approach me i will be proved holy in the sight of all the people i will be honored and aaron remained silent Uh, In chapter 9, the seven days of ordination are over, and Aaron now makes a sin offering 
uh, this is different to the ordination ones that have gone on. He now makes another sin offering to cleanse him from his human depravity, as we thought about last week. He brings a burnt offering to atone for his sin before a holy God. He then instructs all of Israel, the elders of each tribe, to do the same. This is a, this is a significant process. They must all be made clean. They must be all atoned by blood. They must bring grain offerings of reverence towards God and fellowship offerings so they might be right and united with one another. Do just as I have commanded, says the Lord. And then we read verse uh, four and nine in chapter sorry four and six in uh, chapter nine, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. Do you see the promises? Do just as the Lord commanded. And the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And it does. Verse 24 again. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord, consumed the burnt offerings and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. God's presence demands perfect obedience. And then his glory comes amongst his people and we shout for joy. So, uh, what has all that got to do with us today? <clears throat> Sat here in a very different time in Worcester Park, about to enjoy a bring and share lunch. What has it got to do? I'm going on too much about the bring and share, honour. What, what has it all got to do with us? I think it raises the question that's our final point God's presence, uh, greatest joy or your greatest fear? Is it your greatest joy or your greatest fear? Now that verse we just read, uh, verse 24 of chapter 9, uh, God's glory and presence causes us to shout for joy and fall to our face. He is both awesome and awful at the same time for the sinner. We rejoice in his presence, but it's too much for us. Uh, we must never lose the fear and the unapproachableness of God's holiness. If he wasn't so holy that we had to fall on our faces, he wouldn't be worth knowing, would he? Can you imagine that after that seven days of ordination and uh, the priests and the, the, the offerings and the cleansing and the anointing and God finally comes down to dwell with his people and it's just all a bit of a letdown, really? Oh, well, yeah, he's here. No, God is holy. He is unapproachable. He is awesome in power and perfection. He has standards and love and justice and rightness above anything else we could imagine or obtain on our own. To God's people, uh, before the time of Jesus, he was represented by burning fire and pillars of cloud and people would fall on their knees and their faces when they came even close to his glory. He's not just some kind of idealistic worldview that we can live for. It's not just someone who makes us feel a bit better about ourselves. He's not just good for our reputation. He's not just a comfortable lifestyle. He is far more holy and awesome than all we tend to look for and look to in this world and in our lives. He's simply our all in all. He is the great I am. The one without whom there would be nothing and no one. The one whom in his presence we should feel both eternal joy and peace and fall to our faces. He triumphs over all and in all. 
And the world and all of its troubles just pales into insignificance when the holiness of the Lord is around. It is his presence that we must desire and seek, that he might dwell with us. Or if we reject his rule, as Nabab and Abihu did, well then we'll face God's wrath at our sin and our unholiness. If you like, there's only two ways to live. One is to seek cleansing before God and his holiness through offerings and sacrifices and through a holy priest. The other is to face eternal displeasure of God. He is either our greatest joy or our greatest fear. Even if we refuse to acknowledge that in this life, that is the reality that awaits. And so we're left with the usual problem when we read uh, the Old Testament law. If to be in his presence requires a priest who can perfectly cleanse us, who is in complete obedience to God and his every holy command, someone there between us and God to bring us our our acceptable sacrifice to him, what, what can we do? Well, we know the New Testament tells us, doesn't it? Uh, Hebrews seven, eighteen, The former regulation, so the law, is set aside because it was weak and useless. Uh, not pointless, useless in the sense of making us perfect. Uh, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw to n- near to God. A better hope to draw near to God, to enjoy his presence. Who is that? Well, it's Jesus. Hebrews 7.22, just a bit further on from that verse. Uh, I think they're all on the screen. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests, Old Testament, since death presented them continuing in office. So they couldn't do it. They had to do it every year and then they died. But because Jesus lives forever, he rose again from the cross, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his sins and then for the sin of the people. That's what we just looked at in Leviticus. He sacrifices for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect for ever just as the Lord commanded. That is what Jesus did for us. It is by Jesus that we enjoy the presence of God, both now in this life through his spirit as he dwells, his presence within us, in in our hearts, and eternally in fullness when Christ, our high priest, returns to establish his full and eternal reign. So what is your greatest joy? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? What are you going to give your all to this week? The holy God and his presence.
in your life through Jesus. That's what Leviticus 8-10 to calls us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, our great High Priest, who truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike any other priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, for uh, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Father, we thank you that you are so holy, that in your presence we experience great joy and great fear because of our sin. So we come to you in the person of Jesus, with him as our priest who intercedes for us, so that you are our eternal joy, so that you may dwell in our hearts by your spirit now and forever so that your name may be glorified, so that we may have hope in this world where there is no hope outside of you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Amen.